Jesse Williams, welcome to Strive, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So nice to have you here. The biggest man we've ever had on the podcast. I'm worried about the strength of the seat. <laughs> so we'll find out what it's made of today. No doubt, man. And where, where did uh, I meet Jesse? Did you introduce me to Jesse? I think so. I met him. Um, I met him through mutual friends, Lindo Wayno. I thought it might have been Lindo, eh? yeah, because you were doing photography. Were you doing a lot of photography? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it was at the gym. Yeah, that might have been. But it was the original gym, the original one, no Apex. Way. It wow. was originally originally met at Apex, and um, he Wayno messaged me. It was like a random Sunday morning, and I was doing it tough <laughs> after one a big night, and then two um, the kids giving me hell, and then he was like, "Come in, Jesse's coming to do pads." I'm like. Jesse Yarder? Like, that's what yeah. I na- naturally thought. He's like, nah, Jesse Williams. I'm like, the NFL player? He's like, yeah. I'm like, and you know, Wayno, always randomly <laughs> doing something. I'm like, all right, man, I'll come open up because obviously yeah. had the key and went and opened up for him. And then, yeah, met, met Jesse then. How good. I was there punching on Linda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you been doing a bit more punching still? Have you been doing some? Uh, every now and again. Yeah. I, um, I did a lot of like BJJ while I was in the NFL. Really? Like wrestling. Yeah, we did it out of... Um, a gym in Seattle called AMC with Chris Hume and um, it's where Demetrius Johnson yeah. and Mighty Mouse was out of. So Sick. We are pretty close with those guys and obviously football, it's, man, it's like running BJJ essentially without, yeah. without the legs yeah. half the time. So it, it, it correlated really well and I just liked it. You know, I'm yeah. a pretty rough sort of person so I was like, it just worked perfectly for me um, cool. and football. So I don't get too much striking only when Lindo's free but, yeah. you know, man, that's, that's hard to get on the schedule. So, um, until then, it's sort of just whenever I get time and whenever I find a gym really to get into, you know. No, that's cool, man. Tell us, like, th- this has to be, uh, and I've heard a bit of the story, but for the audience, how does a kid from Australia... Thursday Island. Thursday Island end up in the NFL, or even college to begin with, or just in America, full stop, but then, if, then effectively all the way through there? It's... A very long path, I yeah. tell you. It's uh, it was an uphill battle. It, it sort of started. Basketball was my main sport. So yeah. My whole family played that. My mum, my dad, they were both ballers. So it sort of went started there. You sort you sort of like sneakers. You get into American stuff. Everyone's listening to rap music, and then I played basketball at a pretty high level um, at Logan Southern District Spartans, all the way up to like QBL when I was younger, and then probably sixteen. All my friends started getting taller, yeah. and I had I just got a gym membership, so I just started getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, and in high school, some of my friends I played basketball with were like, "Man, come down and play gridiron." I was like, "What?" I was like, "We're allowed to do that?" Yeah. You know, like, who does that out here? Yeah. And um, that was at the Bayside Ravens at Birkdale, and I was like, "All right, go down, hit people, not get in trouble." I was like, "Might as well, right?" Yeah. I'm just like a teenager in high school, just wants to like, essentially just hit the whole time yeah. and getting too rough to play basketball, so. I go down there, play the Bayside Ravens, sort of fall in love with it pretty quickly. Um, the sport, I guess, experience in basketball, the skill set correlated like tremendously. Hand-eye coordination, quick feet, being big but still being able to run, change direction. So straight away, like I was smashing kids. And I was like this size when I was like 16. So yeah. like it was unfair to say the least. <laughs> um, and then from there, once I was hooked – Football started taking over basketball. At one point, I was playing high level both. Yeah. Like Saturday, Sunday, like Friday night basketball. Like it was stupid, right? Yep. Um, and then about 16, 17, I, I got some attention. I played against New Zealand at the IAS playing football. 
And um, I got MVP for the whole tournament. And uh, one of the junior colleges, Arizona Western, was out there sort of purposely scouting kickers, but accidentally saw me. And um, I was about 315 pounds playing like I was 215 pounds just running around. And um, no scholarships at all. He just said, you know, if you definitely have what it takes, you should be playing in the U.S. If you pay your own way, we'll we'll give you a spot to, to have. So from there... I played all the Australian, played all for Queens. They did a lot sort of stuff. And I was like, all right, I sat down with my parents. I was like, let's give this a shot. I'm not going to do anything here in Australia. There was nothing, no shining light that was out there for me here. So from there, I sort of, I worked three jobs. Um, Shout out to Amart All Sports, Hungry Jacks, and uh, my grandparents' cleaning company. And uh, (laughs) saved up enough money to go to Arizona Western. I went over there a, a semester early. Practiced, did everything I possibly could, and uh, by no means was I the best player there, and I probably wasn't supposed to play. Um, very, this is like two years of football experience going against guys that played their whole life, and I went over there and did, did you did you stay connected with that scout, and then you contacted? Him? Yeah, so he was actually the defensive coordinator at that team. Yeah. So when I went over there, I try and tell people like I left once I had the money. My my parents helped me a lot. I, I think I left with like two hundred something dollars. Yeah, in my bag. Seventeen, eighteen. Like I dipped out of the country. Yeah, like we knew no one except that one coach. Yeah, I had his name and number written inside my passport, and I was like, when I look back and I'm like, damn, my parents were wild for letting me yeah. go. Like, <laughs> I think about my son right now. I'm like seventeen. Like no chance, brother. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I went over there. He picked me up from the airport, did the whole thing, and um, I sort of I made a mental decision that. It was, it was do or die for me. I mean, I got to turn this into something. So it was all out from the jump. Like, first practice, first everything. Like, I don't give a hell who you are. Like, we're fighting. You know what I mean? Like, I'm banging. I, I already have a pretty um, volatile nature to yeah. me, um, which worked well for football. And I sort of just turned it up and got in a lot of fights, um, you know, broke a lot of equipment, hit a lot of people. And, um, you know, by the end of that season, I started every game. And I uh, was ranked the number one player the whole country. Recruitable athlete from that level, so junior yeah. college. Um, so at that point, I was getting recruited by everybody. That's when Alabama come on board. Alabama being the big dogs, yeah. the number one school in the country at the time. And um, Nick Saban's flying his private jet out to Yuma, Arizona, which is nothing to see me play one game of football and fly Jeez. home. Man, give, give people context because people here hear college and they think of university but they don't know what college is to America, like the system of how you go from school, junior college, college, and college football is like an institution. Isn't like college out, football like even, doesn't it get like almost more the, viewers than the oh, actual NFL? Yeah. Way bigger than the NFL. Wow. Yeah. Like it's crazy. At the top part, so Alabama where I went to school was 110,000 every game. Yeah. Oh. Sold out. Stadium. Stadium. A year in, in advance. Yeah. And then you got 100,000 outside that are tailgating just trying to hear the game yeah. and watch it on a TV. Wow. Um, but it's it's very there's, – there's so many parts of college football. The biggest thing is obviously there's big schools, Division One. There's all these tiers off it, Div Two, Three, um, NAIA, and junior college. Junior college, I try and explain to people, is like a second-chance school. It's a league of guys that either didn't get to go anywhere, Division One, whether it's grades, behavior, something like that. They get they got to go to junior college for one and a half years, and then you become eligible to go to a Division One, 
or you get guys like a lot of guys I played with, like Cam. I played against Cam Newton. That went to he was at Florida, got in trouble stealing a laptop, got kicked out, had to go to Blinn Community College, and then he bounced back to Auburn University. So it's a melting pot of like the biggest freaks who just have a little something off about them, you know. I watched that last chance. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. And it's (laughs) I wish I I try and tell people because they ask me all the time, is it really that? I was like. It is like that. Like yeah. I was in ramen noodles and fresh air for two years, brother. Yeah. Like it is <laughs> fighting every day. Like I'm talking player on player, player on coach, like normal yeah. students, like everything. It's it's tough because you are like a, a not like a juvie, but like you're just trying to get out. And the only way you can get out of this place is you got to be good at football. Yeah. So yeah. like everyone, every practice, it doesn't matter. Like it's so everything's a competition and it's me versus everybody else, yeah. you know? Um, but then at that point, once Alabama offered, I pretty much it just the offers just started rolling in. I could have went anywhere. I had you know close to sixty something offers coming out of junior college to pretty much any college jersey you've ever seen. I probably could have went and played there. Um, and when I tell my story, it's always this decision's always been split. It's either go to a small Division One at the time would have been like a a Miami, a UCLA, a Hawaii, something like that, and just be the man, dominate, like just be the most ruthless person in that conference and then try and go to the NFL or do I go somewhere like Alabama LSU at the time Ole Miss Georgia and like never expect to be played and have to earn every time I touch the field and me being the kooky person I am I was like if I ever get to write a book what story would if I'm telling my kids what story is going to be is going to tell them about me the most and Everything to that point was hard. Yeah. Not one part was easy. Not one part was not having to kick doors down. So I was like, cool. I was like, let's do the hard route. Yeah. And then from there, I was like, I did my trip um, September 3, 2010 to Alabama, my official visit. And um, yeah, it was awesome. Meeting with Coach Saban, getting a feeling of what that organization meant to football and what you can mean to that being a part of this process and that's pretty much won me over it was i would say 30 percent about football the rest about the disciplines around that that affected the type of man you would be leaving here um nothing ever was really about money for me it was never about being popular or famous it was never really proving anyone wrong it was always trying to prove my 15 year old self right and um at a place like that, no one expected me to be anything. And I just took the same attitude like when I went to junior college. And it was like, cross the line, you get hit. And um, it sort of went like that. Uh, I, I put everything into that university. Uh, was lucky enough to start every game and, and win two back-to-back national championships. You know, get a degree and some, you know, all-American academic, on and off the field, like – I got what I needed out of that. Yeah. And then obviously to the NFL. And the journey Fuck, it's wild. Yeah, eh? man. I, like I've um, listened to Nick Saban a bit. Um, and I'm not even massively into NFL, but I'm massively into him because of what pretty much what you were alluding to, how he creates these men. Like he, it's all about um, their culture and they talk about him creating the best culture in sport bar none. And I've always was like fascinated how how, how he does it. Um, 
I still, obviously, I don't know because I haven't been there. What What is it that he is able to do? Or what is it at that school that creates that, that unison, that culture, that money can't buy type of thing? Like you said, you could have got money anywhere, mm. but you went there instead because of the reasons that you were alluding to before. Yeah, I think a few things that come to mind off the top of my head is accountability and care. Um and those sort of lead into creating a huge amount of buy-in, both sides. You can feel as soon as you step anywhere on campus in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where that is, you are cared more than a football player, not only because a football program is the biggest thing in the state, but because they know how important it is um, per person, per team, and how that means for the whole program. And you feel that pretty well right away when you talk to coach. Um, and it's not – it's so authentic. You can feel it, but you, it, he backs it up every day of the week. I tell a funny story uh, about Coach Saban. So the, the way the layout of the facility is, the first spot is coach's spot. It's the only one that's named. It says coach. And he's the only coach, right? Everyone else is coach something. Yep. He's the only coach people refer to as coach, right? Yep. So he parks there. No other ones are named. So every day in the summer, like we're running at six o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to get there at five because I want to park my car in the first one and I want him to see me because I don't know if he's going to be there or not. So for my whole time playing at Alabama, it was a battle between me and other guys trying to get that first spot and trying to show saving that like, yeah. I'm here working too, you know? And the crazy thing is, I don't know if I won, but... A lot of the times when I would get there, his car's already there. Yeah. And a lot of times when I'm leaving, his car's still there. Mm. And it seems trivial, but that sign of he's still working more than you yeah. is, I know it's not for him. It's for all of us. And it creates a buy-in that like, when I was playing, if, if coach told me like, I got to run through oncoming traffic to, for the team, shit, I'm strapping up. I'm gone. You don't have to say it twice. And there's not a there's not an inch of hesitation or me even thinking that's how much you're bought in at schools like that. And that's honestly some of the differences I see with sports in Australia and sports in the US. Mm-hmm. And do I think there's probably some great coaches in Australia? Probably. Yeah. But to the level of the US plus resources, we're all tough. But Coach Saban embodies everything we stand for in the discipline, um, and the commitment that is to being the best. Um in football, in life, being a man, he's doing all those every day. It's like un you can't catch him nowhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's so tough. Yeah. It's so it's so fascinating because it's so hard for a leader like that to get that level of buy-in from their team or community or sports team or whatever it is. Do you feel like the difference with say let's just say Alabama for example is like football is so important to their community. It's a form of escapism, connection, entertainment all of these sorts of things um is coach Saban kind of like has he got the pressure of the community and then he just becomes the voice of that community and and you can feel that you know the weight of the community is on his shoulders and you want to like do him proud because it's doing the community proud is it like an external pressure that he kind of like is able to sort of like bring in and embody and then 
that keeps him motivated, that keeps him going and disciplined and accountable. He's accountable to the community. And then in turn, you guys are accountable to him mm. via the community as well. It's like, I think it's probably two things. Alabama do an extremely good job of sheltering the team from everything, right? So they, they can funnel what information we see is like, it's propaganda to help us. You know what yeah. I mean? It's not anything hindering. Like it's very well blocked. And the other thing is when you play at a school like the University of Alabama, there's so much tradition and there's so much weight that comes with that. Like when we won national championships, like my name is carved into the marble of the stadium multiple times. That stadium is going to be there, man, touch wood for a long time. Yeah. Um, so you, one, one of my favorite things that a coach used to say, and I tell a lot of kids when we, when we coach, is you represent what's on the front of the jersey and what's on the back. And at Alabama, that's Alabama's on the front, your name's on the back. The standard is the same for both. And that's pretty much how you treat it. How you would play for yourself, like you're trying to play and go to the NFL, is the same way you represent playing for the University of Alabama. You play for the city of Tuscaloosa and all that. Um, and it's so streamlined because everyone wants the best outcome for all yeah. of us. In you know, It's sort of like guilty by association. They get all the positive stuff off that. Yeah. Um, you get so much money from winning town grows everything like that you know what i mean so there is a little bit of that um but it's never enough to get close enough to you where it's i would say a pressure yeah. it's funneled so far down through the coaches that they probably get it more yeah um saban is like man he is the king of the state of alabama yeah. um he just signed a i think an eight-year extension like a couple hundred million bucks so yeah. it's doing all right i find it so fascinating the commercial aspect of college football because college isn't professional so the dot when like you just said multi multi million dollar deal for a commercial uh, an organization that isn't supposed to be trading in commerce like college in its pure sense is supposed to be amateur but if you want to call it that yep. where it's not mm -hmm. supposed to be a paid type of situation but the business of college football is massive like Do you get paid like, as players so it's changed a lot since i played yeah um, the school obviously makes exponential amount of money. Yeah. Like it was in the hundreds of millions per game week we have at home, right? Oh, so man. like <laughs> I try and explain that. That's man. Alabama's making more in a week than the NRL mm. is. And, full um, stop. <laughs> you know like, what I'm saying? Full like stop in one week. At all, right? Yeah. But when I was playing, the structure was we get no money at all. Someone can't buy you lunch. Yep. They can't give you anything for free. If an outside company or which was very rare – or a booster wanted to do anything, they have to do it for the whole team, coaches and stuff, everything. Now, uh, with the NIL deals around college, you can do a lot more brand work because like when I was playing, like I was on the cover of Sports Illustrated with Alabama, we were all these things, we get paid nothing, right? If I do that now, like you get in, you get in a bag, you know, you, <laughs> yeah. you get in what you need to, right? Yeah. When you're in college, like, yeah, here's a shirt and like you go back, to, you got to go to class. Yeah. Like, you literally do a photo shoot for Sports Illustrated and go back to me doing geology, yep. you know? Like, but now, um, thanks to the pressures of social media and how the world's moving, um, a lot of these guys can benefit from their likeness more so than, or, or in a mixture of their football ability as well. Yep. And the brands are making the most of that because like we spoke earlier, college football is a platform that I think is next to none, really. Yeah. NFL... 
college basketball, NBA would be up there. But yeah. college football is very strong force yeah. in, in, in moving brands and and uh, selling merch and commerce and all that sort of stuff. So um, it is a tough life. When I was playing, we didn't get heaps of money. People think you play in front of 110,000. I'm, I'm going from a stadium filled with people, barely can get to my house as that many people, and I'm living in like a two-bedroom apartment, like yeah. eating toast and shit at night. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's crazy Yeah. compared to the NFL where like Seattle's 70,000 in the stadium and completely different yeah. post game, right? Yeah. Um. But now it's moving a little bit towards it. Saban was a huge advocate for kids getting paid. Yeah, okay. Um, which is great because he sees the work that goes into it because yep. he is putting us through that. Yeah. Um, and I think they should as well. From a careers are so short, college and NFL. I feel like if you're using and abusing likeness, you should get something out of that. Especially now with the characters that are around football and yeah. podcasts, social media, YouTube guys. Like it's just crazy. I'm so fascinated by your journey that someone, you know, we spoke about it at the start from Thursday Island and made their way into the most, arguably one of the most competitive sports, at the top of one of the most competitive sports in the entire world. And like you were saying, especially going through the college program, you guys are basically fighting each other to, you know, get a chance to play and be on the field and, and, and start in a game. And then you make it to the NFL. What 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 was it in you? What was in going through your head? What was the motivation? What were you? What allowed you to go through this, walk through this fire for so long, and compete at the highest level with people, and come out and win? Like, what was it in you that allowed you to do that? This I, boy from Thursday Island. Yeah, I tell a lot of people. Um, it usually, just comes down to like, I'm I'm just a dog. I'm a dog. Were you born like that? Uh, not particularly. I think the sporting upbringing, being very competitive, and I just hate losing. Were you trying, to, rather, were you trying to escape something? like an old, like Never a, really. Like I said before, I was just trying to prove myself right. It's different now. When, when, when these kids that we're helping right now, or the kids playing and want to go, the path is cut down. I walked through it, and I yeah. chopped everything down. When I was going, I had nothing but no's, that would never happen. That's too hard. Like the odds are against you. Those are all the things I would get. Those were the compliments I was taking. Um, so it was really me just proving myself right. Because half there's there's been a few times where I'm in that process. I'm like I'm crazy. Like this can it be this tough to do it? Should it be this hard to be able to do something? Um, do you find that you're a rebel in nature? So if someone tells you, you no, know, you're gonna you, you kind of just say. Fuck you, man. I'm going to do this. Not really. I, I focus so little on other people half the time. Like, I'm hardly aware people even care about me. I'm so locked in, and it's probably my ADHD and being able to be so hyper-focused on, I don't care about anything else but just that, you know? And when I was 16, 17, like, I didn't drink alcohol till the age of 30. Yeah. And, like, I, I might drink, like, twice a year. And I have whiskey because I feel like an old man. I was just, I just drink it. I don't even like it, right? Yeah. I just like holding it and like having nice bottles at the house. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't, never drink or never smoke cigarettes, nothing, right? So my choices, that stemmed a lot from my upbringing and my parents, but I knew everything was in my choices, what I had to do. And, you know, if drinking and smoking made me bigger and stronger, I'd be a crackhead, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't, right? Yeah. And um, being indigenous and growing up in those circles and seeing like rugby league guys go off the wrong side um, 
other AFL guys, family. You see what substance abuse does. You see what choices and how not to make them a lot earlier than maybe some other guys. And that sticks with me a lot. Not that it, not so much my immediate family, um, but on the outside, you see it a lot. Um, whether it's crime, you know, abuse, or drinking, whatever. So from from the early age, I I just always promised my mom like I'm not doing that, and um, that was that was a huge push for me, um, and it was just it just stuck with me so much, and I always just wanted to be um, myself, and always do the things I needed for the reasons that were inside me, um, and I feel like I did that most of my career, bro. That's what it is. You 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 are in in a, in a no uncertain terms, like running away from what you saw you didn't like the life you didn't want to have. Mm. And I can relate to that because like a few of my family members have dealt with a lot of bad drug abuse and alcoholism, alcoholism and stuff like that. And I think that that's maybe why I saw the difficulties that they went through. And I was like, I don't want that at a mm. young age. And so maybe I'm also making similar choices where I'm fighting to like avoid that. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's uh, allows you to sort of like make the right choices when you're in that fork of the road situation. Mm. Do you stay in the party or do you go home? You know, and to be honest, I never even got to the party. Uh, <laughs> for me, like even when I was younger, like you ask, and I've seen guys lately from high school, and they were like, "Man, all I ever remember you doing was just training. Like you never went to parties. Like I rarely went to school. Right? Like I'm rocking up at eleven, and like, oh yeah, I gotta go to football, and I leave at like two. You know." Um, even though I had good grades, like my mom was a school teacher, so I sort of had no choice, right? But um, I just never associated myself, even back then, with like anyone. Like I was just so locked in on, it's always only ever been, and I say it my family all the time, um, FOE, which is family of everything. It's always ever been for my family. It's just been my parents and my brother. That's all I knew the whole time. And I, that was the only reliable platform I had. So I knew I had to make something else. Um, and nothing else ever interested me, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I was just like, I'd rather wake up and work out. Like, did, I must be crazy. Did you have struggles with that? Because I know that Cell talks about his experience playing um, professional f- football and you were talking about sort of yeah. similar things where you were just like, I didn't really want to go with the team to party. I wanted to knuckle down and go to uni instead and I had studies the next day or things like that. But you also mentioned that like, because it is such a culture, it is a boys club, that it's like maybe it stops you from allowing to to get ahead. Yeah, I'm interested to actually hear what the college NFL system is like. Clearly it's a much more wired system where the college, you're there to play for your team, but you're also there to get a degree. Rugby league was almost the polar opposite. It's strip everything else away. Don't do other things. Even though you have time to do other things, it's don't do other things, focus on football. And if you're not focusing on football, focus on fucking up. <laughs> Which was pretty much like, it, it was, man. Being like in the, the media. Yeah, yeah, it was just like, they they come at all these players so hard, which I agree, I understand. A lot of the shit they do it isn't on. But I'm telling you right now, if you were paid to train of a morning, sit at home, have money as a kid and be told not to keep your mind working on uni, trade, education, whatever it is. What do you think you would do? Everyone think back to themselves as a 17, 18, 19-year-old kid that 
most likely is athletic. So they're getting their ego blown up all the time. All the time, getting told you're so great, you're this, um, having girls around you, having endless supplies to the wrong people because the wrong people want to hang around you. What do you think is really going to happen if you don't create a system like what Jesse was saying where he was like, you did a photo shoot, go back and do geology. You, you, you yeah. haven't you haven't got good grades. You're not you're not on the field. Exactly. You're going back to junior college and you're f- scrapping, yeah. scrapping your way to get back to college to be able to study to get grades. It's a complete opposite system. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like forget everything else. Hey, what's happening on the weekend? Oh, there's this boat cruise and there's going to be X X X. And you're like, well, I know that person's a drug dealer. I know that person's this. I know, that. but if you don't go, then it's like, hey, you missed out on the party. And then the person that's like part of the old boys club is just like, oh, he's not one of us. He could be a rat or a snitch. So was there, was there a similar culture there or? No, no, there was nothing. Nothing like that. Like, because yeah. people ask me about the no drinking, no smoky thing quite a bit because in between that, you know, in junior, col- in junior college, we won conference championships every year. I did two back-to-back national championships into two Super Bowls. We won one, lost the other. So there's plenty of opportunity. Mm. I was playing in the, absolute top of the top with the best guys at the most famous time on some of the best teams to ever play so the opportunity to be in trouble is like floating yeah. around 24 7 right yeah. um and that never i didn't break one time there so you know when people ask me to have a drink here and obviously the culture here is much more abusive around yeah. you know have a drink i'm so stern with it um and honestly not many people tell me what to do as it is but um <laughs> i think it's sort of like comes off a much more strong because of what I've been through and, you know, having one kidney now, like I don't need to do it as much now, but the culture is never built around that. Um, even when like these college parties are wild and I would still go, but I'm not drinking and I'm not staying up late. I'm not doing anything. Right. I'm just going to see, I'm like, I'm from Australia. Like, what are these, what is this yeah. like? Right. And I might've went to like two or three the first year and, um, so it never really sunk in. And even when I would tell guys, like, no, nah, I'm not drinking. Like, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to go to the NFL. Dudes would be like, yeah, all right, cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they respect it. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Because you can tell right away. You, if You do not go to Alabama to not go to the NFL. Yeah. You don't go there to have fun. I'll, give, <laughs> I'll write 100 schools in front of that for fun. Yeah. Alabama's not it. So when you are there, it's very rare you would see guys drinking or doing anything. If I saw some guys doing some stuff out of place, I'd be like, whoa. I'm yeah. like, all right, this dude's got some, he's in some trouble. He's yeah. doing something, right? He's running away from something. Um, and I guess I was just lucky that the American culture is so, what guys complain about here of like, oh, I need to get out of my situation. I need to be good at football. I got to do this. In the US, it is do or die. Like to the point where, like I've lost plenty of guys that I've played with. I'm only 32. Um but some of the situations that these guys are in, in small towns, in bad neighborhoods and big cities, like if they go back, it's done. Yeah. It's done. It's Here is the softest place on earth. Yeah. I could get a job doing anything. And any of these guys can as well. You'd be some laborer, you could yeah. do whatever. You try and do that in the US, there's no chance. Zero chance. Too many people. I think people forget that. I think people look at the glitz and glamour of the NFL off college but don't realize like that high high the low over in the states i mean the last time i was there the homeless situation then and that would have been 2017 
would and apparently it's triple that now mm. and i'm just like these people genuinely have no homes you walk around here tell me one person that doesn't live in a home yeah. i actually don't know or the yeah. opportunity to have yeah. that or all, all the opportunity like yeah i do a lot of work in the indigenous community we've been to some bad places indigenous and non-indigenous yeah. pretty heavy drug or abuse places i've been to places in the united states that i worry for my safety yeah there's very little places i'm running around here that have that effect on me and i would carry a gun in the united states yeah. it's people see the highest highs where the platform is where we were standing where guys play they don't realize that off the back side of that is the longest fall you'll ever feel back to planet earth and for some of those guys it's um it's the end yeah. uh, a lot of these towns or communities um whether it's drugs organized crime that sort of stuff the time back and then getting into that is so short because there's nothing else to do. Yeah. And a lot of their family or their homeboys or whatever, it's, it's dragging you back. Um, that's probably the only bad side of the culture of that. And that hyper population turns into hyper competitiveness and it trims the fat. That's where you get so many freak athletes at the yeah. top. Um, but even when guys that are trying to go over now or when, you know, Jared Hayne and Valentine, I would go to guys, I'd see guys at Walmart and I bet you they know more about football and just as athletic as half those guys. Yeah. Not because those guys are bad. It's because the population of good over there, especially in sports, is so high that they're just working normal jobs. And that, that Jared Hain situation was one of the most tragic things <laughs> I've like ever watched occur. Like just this unbelievable athlete from Australia given this amazing opportunity and platform and for it to all just be wasted, and, and not because of his athleticism, I honestly believe it was because of the NR, well, rugby league Australian culture that was ingrained in him that caused it to just what happened to him. I can't remember. Oh, well, did he end up in jail now? I think he recently got out, but it was in yeah, jail for a while. he was in jail for a while over. Uh, look, uh, I'm obviously not there, but yeah. rape charges oh, and man. and all this different types of yeah. stuff via alcohol abuse, drinking that that old yeah. boy culture that we were talking about. But as an athlete, and I remember because I finished up with the Titans when he got to the Titans, and that was when the Titans paid stupid money for him to come through. And from a cultural perspective, everyone was going. Why are you getting this guy here? Dude, even when we were filming the Titans, like... You would have been... Yeah. Exactly, sorry. Right, like, same time. Yeah. He, he, they just, like, patted him away, yeah. off onto the side. He was training with a couple of coaches themselves and yeah. everyone else was playing on the field and you could tell that he was just being sort of, like, yeah. protected. C culturally, it was just ridiculous, man. Like, ridiculous. Like, this... I started... I had Biscuit at the time. And so the boys came for lunch... And as polite as they are, most people, they're like, hey, we'll pay for this. And it was always going to be comped. But he just walked out. I'm like, one, I don't know you. Mm. Like, two, you don't just walk out of a restaurant thinking someone's footing your bill. I don't care who you are. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you're the president of the United States. It doesn't matter who you are. You don't walk out and not pay your bill or offer or whatever it was. Remember talking to the boys, I went, man, this is real trouble for you guys not because of his ability, but the culture that's there, that's being set. And, man, culture is everything. I don't, if, if, you, if you don't form culture and you can't breed it, it's why they're still stuck in the same spot that 
that they are and his his opportunity there when he burst onto the scene I was like man this is such a good opportunity to create further the path that Jesse had started yeah. for other people to have this imagine all the great athletes we have here getting following that journey but then watching it all fall apart I was like man this is this is tragic yeah I saw it pretty firsthand like I was over there when he started coming over yeah and um to be completely honest I didn't know I didn't really follow rugby league I didn't know who he yeah. was from a bar of soap um my family would send me stuff about it and I was like they had sent article clips that he was going to Seattle and I was like yeah. no no <laughs> he's not like I'm in the building yeah no one no one knows who no, he is. yeah um but it was unfortunate. Look, uh, I wish a lot of people would go over there and try and do that. And um, the big thing is, I didn't have told the NRL, I've spoken on TV about it, is um, none of that from State League, Q Cup, whatever names they call it to the NRL, none is set up for success pre, during, or post. I see it. Like it's, I, I've been around, I've spoken at rookie symposiums, I've done all the semi pro days, I've met these guys, and like it's a letdown. Um, the, the, the disappointing thing to me is, like, fair enough, if you want to um, shit your life away or, or make poor decisions, that's fine. The hard thing that I kind of can't grip with is how idolized the guys are yeah. when people know how they are as people. Um, because, you know, I have a small son. We don't watch rugby league by any means, but that, that age group of people looking up to those guys, right? You look up to dudes like that and then pre him going to the NFL – and then the downfall, and I just see so much bad influence, not just Jared, but plenty of other guys in the, in the yeah. NRL, where it's like, you could do so much more, and I feel like they watch the, NF, the, they watch the NFL, a lot of those AFL guys as well, and I'm, I'm not giving AFL a break by any means, but I think if, if I was to compare them to some of the professionals or some of the grown men that I would have the privilege of playing football or coached by um, – the it's black and white difference yeah, it it's, is um it's it's so crazy different i can't even understand how people let people get away with stuff here yeah. um compared to over there right and i just feel bad for it and the crazy thing to me is guys look up to these guys they know all the stuff they're doing drinking partying carrying on either abusing people or whatever crap they're doing and then people look at me and i get judged straight away yeah but I got the. I'm the one that did the dual degree. Not drinking or smoking. Yeah. I do more community work than I do anything else. You know, everything's put back into what we do um, because I'm not outward facing. I don't tell my whole story of. I don't p portray that I'm this cool person. I doing all these things. I miss the boat, right? And I'm happy with that. That's fine. I just feel bad for the kids that look up to that. Yeah. You know, and then I get five minutes to talk, and yeah, I can sway people quickly, but visually how those guys are portrayed afl nrl is like is wild to me yeah. i came back and i just and i meet him in person which is even scarier i feel like i hold myself as a professional i can articulate my ideas well enough to get them across i see some of these guys i'm like you should not be given a microphone yeah don't please don't do any podcast <laughs> yeah. if i was your agent yeah man we need to rethink the signing of this guy yeah. um and that's where i see a lot of the, the sport is just it's slipping either side um, you know, there's some good ways of where the podcasts have good platforms and these guys have outside brands and all that sort of stuff, but there's also a lot of extremities that allow risks to creep into yeah. organizations, you know, um, the, the players and all that sort of stuff. And I, those guys see it. Everyone wants to be Odell Beckham. Yeah. Everyone wants to have a 
million dollars for every brand deal. Everyone wants that. Um, but people don't understand the standard that you have to hold yourself to to be in the to be in the room to get picked for those sort of things. Right. And it's uh, it's really different here. And talk talk to that aspect of if I would relate to this on a much much smaller level than what you would. As you said, three hundred plus pounds. You have tattoos, face tattoos. All that aside, someone will make a judgment or a character call on based on just as you said, face value looking. Won't look any further past the dual degrees, the Super Bowl rings, the college, the national college, not drinking, not smoking, have a son, good role model as a dad, husband, doing community work. They'll just make the first call um, without looking at any layers past past that. Have you at all struggled with that? Or like you said, were you so hyper-focused that you actually don't care what anyone else is thinking, saying, doing, you're just doing you? Um during my career, I was oblivious to it. In Australia, like, I was a ghost. Like, you wouldn't see me nowhere, even when I was in, in the country. Um, and I spent very little time back here. Um, post-career, the absolute most. And it's mind-boggling to an extent where I ignore situations because I know that's coming up. I don't even walk towards it, right? I didn't. One of the craziest things, right, is in the U.S., I get in everywhere, not because of football. It's because there's no stigma around any look, yeah. right? Yes, if I'm carrying an assault rifle, you're not yes. getting in. But nothing about <laughs> normally dressed people, right? Exactly. I go to any bar in Brisbane, I'm not getting in. There's not one, right? I got, I've been kicked. I got paid to talk at the Super Bowl event for Crown at the Gold Coast, yeah. and I wasn't allowed in. Fucking mental. They had to bring the money out to me, and then I went home. And then that is so I've gone mental. to... Percival's felons in Brisbane for my birthday at one o'clock in the afternoon and I got kicked out. And I'm like, I never kick up a stink because half the time I I shouldn't, but I side with them. I'm like, okay, I'm pretty big. I'm a bit intimidating if you have security. Like I'm sure they don't get paid enough to wrestle with me out here yeah. on the concrete. <laughs> um, I don't drink. I, there's no way I could convince them on site yeah, that they believe that's that. That's true, yeah. Um, but I can't take my partner out. I can't go out right. for work drinks with anyone. I can't because I get stopped at the door and I'm like, for what? And the first time I ever had it, I was like, for tattoos. I was like, are you allowed to do that? Yeah. I'm like, is there a law? <laughs> yeah. It's like, and I had me thinking, I'm calling my agent. I'm like, how do I, the only places I've ever been able to get in, I've literally had to call days in advance. If there was an event called owners of these places to let me in. And I'm like, but you'd rather have a bunch of NRL guys in here that are, they're using the bathrooms like a hotel room. Yeah. And I'm like, you won't let me in. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so straight away off the jump, I was like, that ain't for me. Not yeah. that I'm going out a lot. I just, yeah. a few times that's, that's, that's crossed the pass of me. But in general, I get a lot of that. Um, I am judged on definitely the tattoos, which is fine. My choice, right? I think it's a little backwards that people are still yeah. living like that. Cool. Fair enough. Um, a lot of the indigenous stuff, as well um but it is crazy like i was last year i did a, a statewide campaign with queensland police i was everywhere like every bar train station there's pictures of me yeah and people would still judge me you know um and it's like i'm doing the community work i'm like right yeah. here i'm like how do you have any stigma around that and it's crazy that people can't oversee um just what i look like and and tr take me on who i am 
um, that people are still so judgmental to the point where it's like, I go to the Woolies and I got like old ladies and people, I'm like, why would I steal anything? Yeah. I'm standing in line. Like yeah. I get, when I was at, I've complained multiple times to David Jones and Meyer. I go in there to buy cologne with my son. I'm getting followed around by some old fat dude wearing high vis. Like Man. he's going to chase me down. I was like, oh, you wouldn't catch me if you tried, brother. Yeah. You know, not <laughs> that I would, but I'm like, well, exactly. This, this, why, this. why would I steal cologne? I'm right here with the seven year old kid. I'm well, like, that's, <laughs> that was what I was going to lead to next that I know you as an adult and dealing with it have come to exactly what you said terms like, uh, this is the society I live in, but you have a kid, he's seven. I have a son, he's seven. And I've often had that chat with him where I'm just like, I don't even know how to explain it to him. Mm. I, I, I haven't done a good enough job Because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And he knows it doesn't make sense. Mm. But I'm sitting there just going, I've got no way to explain this. Mm. Like, I, like literally where, not far from here, just off Maddox, there's like a first choice liquor. And the first time, my wife, Jen, now experienced something like that was we were in there and I was just like, she was feeling like run down or whatever it may have been. I was like, you just go to the register. I'll go find the wine that you want. I don't know wine. <laughs> I, I don't even know what I'm looking for. But she's like, it's a Pinot. I'm like, what the fuck's that? At the time, <laughs> like I know a bit more now, but I'm not no wine connoisseur. I'm not like a heavy drinker. So I didn't know really what I was looking for. So I was going up and down this aisle over and over again going Pinot, Pinot Gris, Pinot Noir, Pinot. And so in there, there's obviously security cameras and the guy that's at the register, old dude, fat, can't do anything, is just looking at this like screen and then my wife's trying to talk to him going, excuse me, excuse me. He's like, shh, be quiet. That guy's about to roll us. And then she's like, that's my husband. And he's like, oh, and I was just like, and then I get to the, eventually to the register. She's like so upset that she's left. He's like looking at me like trembling. Like I could see his hands like shaking as I'm like trying to pay the card. I'm like, man, are you all right? Like what's, what's wrong with you type of thing? She tells me later um, when I get into the car, obviously what happened. I have no reaction to it at all. She's super upset. Year later I have um, my son and I'm thinking, I actually go there with him again. It just so happens to be the most convenient place to go to. And then I'm sitting there with him going, what if this was to happen now? What do I actually say to him? So I told him the story, try to explain this may happen to you. He doesn't believe me. Like he, he's so young and innocent that he's just like, no, why? Like I just go and buy my toys from Big W and why would anyone think anything different? I'm like... I don't know. <laughs> I Honestly, don't, I don't have the answer. <laughs> yeah, and I, I feel very similar. Like even to the point, like right now, my son doesn't understand. That's fine. I feel bad for people. Yeah, you might not have face tattoos. You might have no tattoos, but you're getting treated how I get because of that. But I have much more push behind me. Yeah. I'm one or two phone calls away from you, you not having a job or yeah. me making this into some way bigger than it is. Yeah. Or when I get pulled over, which for a certain amount of time. I would get pulled over every oh, week. Yeah. And um, that's just tint the windows and I'm just driving with windows up everywhere now. But I feel bad for a lot of those guys, indigenous islanders or none that can't articulate, yeah. can't talk back in a manner where it's I true. have a lot of anecdotal experience. I was like, I'm waiting for you to make a mistake, not yeah. me. Um, and they get themselves in trouble, right? I know a lot of the generational trauma or situational trauma that, young indigenous people may have being pulled over that comes out very different 
than when Jesse Williams gets pulled over. True. So I feel bad for that. I, I don't really care. I'm like, cool, yeah, run my license. I was like, yes, this is our car, of course. I'm like, run it all. Like, you're just wasting 15 minutes. But that situation for someone else is really you, you're going to jail for something stupid right now. Mm. Um, so I do feel it there. And, like, I feel the – I know there was an article recently about a, a young woman with – I think it might have been Papua New Guinea traditional Fiji traditional tattoo she might have had on her face and they wouldn't let her in bars and they kicked up a huge stink. They were like, oh, this is like outrage all this sort of stuff. And I was like, I've been, this is me for the last five years, you yeah. know? Um, so I do feel bad because a lot of people, they got no push. It's fallen on deaf ears half the time. Um, but it's just crazy. Like it's 2022. I was like, I've seen old people with tattoos. Like it's, it's not even a thing. When I was first getting tattoos, yeah, it was just, bad people and that was it but now it's like a fashion thing yeah. you know and i just feel like there's been so many situations where maybe i'm not missing out on things but a lot of other places are missing out on those things um and yeah there's a lot of places in brisbane the gold coast that i don't even go i rarely spend time on the gold coast purely because of that yeah. i feel like i get pulled over every time i step down here yeah. um but it, it, i don't feel like it should be like that like i have this angst around like every time i go to dinner i'm like they got security out here like, are they checking anything at the door? Yeah. doesn't matter if you got a Super Bowl ring or not. And I, I won't tell anyone I play football unless they know me or ask. That's not like a business card I have yeah. at all. Um, so it's a weird situation for me. I try and ignore it and really acknowledge it, but I don't think that's right, though. Yeah. This shit makes me so upset, especially when you talk about it. Like, I literally yeah. want to cry because obviously we're mates. Yeah. And it's like, now that I get older and I start to understand the – starting to understand the world a little bit more and politics and all this sort of stuff. I legitimately have considered many times about my future and whether I want to be in this country anymore. Yeah. But then I look at other countries and I'm like, is it even worse? Like, is the States worse for that? Or Man, is it different? Or I like, tell people all the time, like, I don't like Australia very, very often. Um, it's very, I like Australia, the place. Like geographically, it's nice and good weather, all that sort of stuff. But people... The culture, like we spoke about the other day, like that famine mentality, like if I don't cut this person down, he's going to take everything I have. And Dude, like Sel and I get brought down yeah. so much. And if you actually looked at what we've done, all we ever do is try to build up our communities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the amount that people try to tear us down on this journey is crazy. Man, I've, I've yeah. seen it from, from day one in my stuff. Yeah. Like I was yeah, one of the first guys over there running the NFL, me and Adam Gottes were over there, Jordan Berry, Brad Wing, all those guys were over there. We had no love whatsoever. Yeah. Like Adam Gottes would call me and like, what's going on over there? What are we doing? You know, asking what I'm doing. I was like, there is zero out here. Like there is no love for anything NFL, nothing in the US. You're just getting cut down. There's nothing. And you know, I'm slowly changing that now, but like in the US, not just the NFL thing, but I just feel like there's, there's more openness to other opportunities. Yeah. There's no stigma around. In the US, if you have a Bentley, you have a Rolls Royce, guys are like, dude, I want to, how do we do this? Like, are you hiring? Like, what's yeah. going on? Here, straight away, if I drive anything nice, I'm selling drugs, it's from something yeah. else. Like, and people will tag you straight away. Yeah. And then I'm guilty until I prove you wrong. So, Boys, yeah. I, I was literally in Adelaide with my family and I was, and, and my partner, and we were driving down the street. And I was with my uncles and aunties. It was like six of us or five of us in the car, whatever. And this dude, older dude was getting out of this orange McLaren. And the first thing I thought was, fuck, he's sick. Like, cause I love, I love people. I love seeing people earn success. 
and we don't know his story. And my auntie just goes, look at this like wanker. Look at this guy getting out of his flashy car. What a, what a wanker, all this sort of stuff. And I was utterly shocked. Yeah. And then and then my uncle started going on. Oh, look at him. He probably got his money from somewhere. He probably did something bad. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck, that's the Australian culture. That's it's, literally the culture. Is, man. And I was it's, like, it's like a catch, It's like a catch-22 in terms of why I love the country in the aspect of my dad come here, refugee, and his the thing that I remember as soon, it was like when I was five years ago, goes, man, you have to stay in this country. And I'm like, why is that? And he's like, because all you have to do is just show up and work and you'll be something. He's like, that's not like that in any other country in the world. And he was right. He was right in the aspect of you can go to the States, you can go to Africa, you go to Europe, you could be the very best and you can outwork, you can do all this and you still won't get there. Simply due to circumstances, be it safety, be it luck, be it politics, all these things, politics, religion, religion yeah. wars, famine, malaria, disease, like you name it, you can get you can get got with something in all these other places here. Literally, if you choose to work, just work, keep your head down, stay out of trouble, you'll make it. You, you, you'll end up somewhere that you are better off where that isn't the case with most places. So I sit there as going, that opportunity is something that like now my kids can have. And all they have to do is work because my dad set that up um, and I was lucky enough to do that. The polar end to that spectrum is exactly what you guys are talking about, that there's the other people that don't want to do the work that want to cut down and throw those barbs and do all those type of stuff for the people that are doing work. The guy that got, had that McLaren has done something. Mm. Whether you know his backstory or not or whatever it may be is 99% chance is he didn't win lotto. So there's a good chance he worked for that. But then the opposite, the, the people within that cultural section want to say, that's because he's a wanker, yeah. he's doing this, he's doing that. Why not just say, that's a sick car. Yeah. I'd like to know how he did that, hear right. that story, and then try and replicate it. Yeah. <laughs> he could have been this indigenous kid from Thursday Island that worked his way yeah. from Australia yeah. to hey, the Even NFL selling drugs is hard, brother. I tell yeah. you that. Um, <laughs> it's still a business. Yeah. No, I think um, I see it a lot. And when I look at my son, even myself... The simplicity of what Australia offers, I don't think is enough. I'm, I, I don't think there's enough challenge to bring the best out of people, right? I know so many people's careers have lost, not because of skill, because of the necessity to have something now and Australia to be able to offer that. And plenty of careers would have took a, a sidestep because the guy's like, oh, do I keep pushing and sacrifice and push myself to the absolute ends like I had to? Or do I just take this job? It looks like it's probably a bit more secure, yeah. a little bit quicker than I expected. So, you, uh, like, I always think about it, and these are sort of the weird thoughts I go through when I'm sitting at home. Uh, like, what would the world look like if nobody gave up on the shit they wanted to do? Mm. And I see a lot of people, because everyone, when I go around a gridiron, I do these camps, and I see all these guys that are around, old boys, everyone's like, man, you know, I, I had a Division One scholar. I was supposed to go here. I could have did that. I said, there is... I could have a whole team called the I Coulders, you know? Um, but the difference is, like, me being the dog that I am, like, I never gave in to the short-term, like, pleasures. It wasn't for me. It was things bigger than that. Um, but I do see Australia weakening and being, like, everyone is just so soft. I deal with it, whether it's working, whether it's going to these camps, whether it's actually training guys getting ready. In the U.S., if I go to Florida, 
Georgia, Louisiana, five, six in the morning, I go to a high school. Kids are running track. They're in the gym. They're hooping. They're lifting, whatever. You try and get one of these kids around here that wants to go, be at the gym at 5.30, we start at 6. Like, oh, yeah. like, whoa, that's crazy. I'm like, I'm up at 4. I've already trained already. I'm yeah. Then I'm coming to see you, you know? Um, so it's just a different outlook. And I just I see so much softness um, compared to the U.S. And it's it doesn't look good for community-wise because the guys that I looked up to in my father and other people that were grown men, strong handshake, eye contact – we do what we say. That's what it is. My word, there's only things I got. My word and my last name. They're two things I carry with me till the day I die. If I fuck either one of them up, yeah. this man's a long walk. And I don't see that here. When I shake dudes' hands, I'm like, man, don't grab my hand like that. You see how damn big I am? I'll squeeze my hand. I yeah. see these kids. You trying to go to the NFL handshake like that? You're crazy. Get out of here. Next that, in line. That's the funniest thing because he has the biggest thing about handshakes. Fucking, I'm all about He's handshakes. always about it. Like, we'll do a meeting. He's like, did you get that handshake? Uh, that. So and, and then you can't trust that guy. He's like, we can't do work yeah. with him. <laughs> we got to go. Bro, like I he swear. said, you can't get in there. You yeah. don't give a good handshake, fuck the NFL <laughs> off. You're not getting in there. Hey, if you ain't dangerous or you don't put off that, <laughs> you would not no good to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and it's little things like that where I see it and I see the next generation or the generations that are two after me. And I'm like, why are you so soft? I'm like, we work out and these dudes are trying to quit. I'm like, I, c- I can't remember the last time I quit. I was like, I'd rather have my legs break and I'll use that as an excuse and I'll, I'll kind of I'll keep pushing, yeah, you know? Man. Like, I, I couldn't remember the day where I was like, nah, nah, this is too hard. Man, I I want to squeeze this in because I know you got to get going literally to the NFL Australia um, post this and we've covered heaps. But one of the, well, two things I got. One of the things is people naturally see you going from here to college, college to NFL, NFL, Super Bowl, Super Bowl, so forth. A lot of people don't know, obviously, the unlucky, I would call it, situation that led to your career, not who knows what, who knows what the future would hold. I've known you for a few years now. There's never been a victim mentality within there, which most people naturally lead on to in a crutch. You could go to any bar in anywhere from an ex-athlete that was like, ah, career was cut short should have played this, should have done that, would have made billions, but because of insert excuse or injury, whatever it may be. Tell us why you never lent on that. Or you probably want to tell people exactly what happened, but then why you never lent on that and why you've gone on to do exactly what you're doing now. Yeah, I think um, some of the early injuries with my knee and, and other niggly ones is, is football. That's football. If I couldn't take that on the chin, I don't deserve to play. Yeah, I know plenty of guys that got hurt just as much as me, still played, and, you know, you find a way. I've had, I had 13, 12, 13 surgeries over the time of playing football in the U.S. There's small things here and there. Like, I didn't expect any of that shit to stop me, and it didn't. Um, the last one, I had um, kidney cancer, which um, it was a personal choice to stop. My son was born that year, like, like a week apart from that. Um, pretty intense. Like, it was very serious, um, a pretty rapidly spreading cancer um, that it essentially completely crushed my kidney and a few other bits around it. So I had that completely removed. Um, I came back seven weeks, five days, played in the first four preseason games, and then sort of had the had the chat at the end of that and um, had my dad over for that because um, he was a big part in, in me playing football from the beginning. Um, 
and it was it was tough. It was good to go out on my own, but I try and explain to people, you know, I probably deserve to have some sort of victim mentality. You know, I worked, I did everything the right way. I never wronged anyone. I gave nothing but the absolute most 24-7, um, you know, to those goals. They, they, they tell you when you're 15 or you're a young kid, you know, write, write down all the things you want to do, you know, be an astronaut, whatever crap, right? That was, that was it for me. I did everything by the book, followed everything, outworked everyone, beat everyone, and I was there. I was enjoying it. I was playing. I was doing really well. And to have everything you dedicate your life to for so many years taken away from you without control yeah. is something that there's only a few people I feel like can deal with shit like that. And um, honestly, situations like that, um, and I say to a lot of people, you know, adversity kind of shows us who we are. And that situation showed me who I was. And for me, it was, A, not defined by football. Um, you know, football is such a small part of my life. And um, it also wasn't taking the easy way out in regards to going into dealing with the cancer or what was going to be next. Um, there was never any fear in my heart. It was a little bit of confusion. I never really had the poor me's. I hate it when people feel sorry for themselves. I didn't want to feel sorry for myself. I run on the 20, Nick Saban 24-hour rule. I feel bad for myself for 24 hours, if that, and the next day done i treated stage four kidney cancer get my kidney removed like i had the flu i was out of hospital in 16 hours i was back at my house and um i think when it comes to the victim mentality this is probably a bit of me being fucked up on the inside but i just felt like i didn't deserve it for me my path everyone always says like man i can't believe you did this like it's this. it never seemed like anything to me yeah it just seemed like that that's what had to be done I had to do it. That was it. And I never felt like I deserved to feel sorry. I I won conference championships, SEC championships, two national championships, a Super Bowl. I've been to the White House three times. I've met every fucking celebrity in between. I've done everything that people watching the movies and people dream of, right? All different types of – I've had everything. And um, so I got nothing to complain about. For me – once I got over the hit of like, oh, I got to figure something out. It was, it went into like a serving mentality and was like, how do I help people from here? Um, and how do I use what I've learned in this shit show of a fucking roller coaster to help other people that are probably going through similar situations? Um, probably not similar as in going to the NFL, but mindset wise, environmentally, culturally. Um, and it was tough to get away from football. I actually went into um, strength conditioning, which was what I was heavily in college, um, and went back and coached Alabama. It was around my guys, some of my best friends, Coach Saban, a lot of those coaches. It kept me grounded around, I guess, serving, helping others, and doing that through football and uh, mentoring. And then I wanted to do that back in Australia. And at, at the time, Australia was not ready. Um, it obviously leads into what I'm doing now. But for me, it was always... It never has been about me. I'm a pretty um, for other people sort of guy. Uh, it's to my downfall most of the time, believing or or helping without getting anything in return. Um, but has that also been part of the reason why you were able to achieve the success that you did? I was just about to say, yeah, essentially that's what's – it's it's a long-burning game. And for me, it's paying off now. Yeah. All the people I've helped along the path, the, the charity stuff, the non-for-profit stuff, Queensland Police, you know, all the stuff that – 
we've sort of just been like, yeah, I'll just come and do it. Just, we'll just go from there. Those people, when I need stuff, they answer my phone calls, they reach out, they they help, you know. And I'm never I'm never really um doing anything bad. So it's um it always has played to my advantage. Yeah. And I've kept that same attitude the whole time. I hate being soft. I don't need to feel sorry for myself. My health is still a battle that I deal with, um, but I ain't taking the easy way out. Yeah. Uh, if stage four cancer couldn't kill me, then, I mean, COVID had a pretty good shot, but uh, nothing <laughs> else yet that's yeah. coming close. So I just keep pushing. And uh, my biggest thing is staying true to who I am um, and my family and and uh, making them proud and constantly reminding them the type of man I am. And, yeah, when I write this book, which hopefully I'm going to write soon, um, when they measure my life or they talk about me, most of the motherfuckers get scared and the rest are respectful. And that's how I want to leave it. Nice, man. It's <laughs> fucking awesome. Great way. I I personally get to ask this question because we usually finish the podcast with a fan um, asking a question. So usually I send them on Insta or get someone to message me like, hey, I know, you know, Jesse, what would be a question you would want to ask if you're doing a podcast? But I just asked a question myself this time. So <laughs> in, in this aspect, and because I kind of relate to it on a business front and I'd like you to refer to it from a sporting front or business, whatever you want to do, cutting or setting a path that hasn't been done before in your case going from Thursday being a Thursday Island kid in Australia Queensland to college to the NFL is a path that hadn't been done before and to do that as you said a billion no's it hasn't been done so the natural thing for people to say is don't do it hit you with roadblocks people fall off so forth for the other kids or adults or whoever are trying to set a path that hadn't been done before, what would you say to them? If it's something they're completely bought in on, it's something they want to do, I would say empty the tank. That's oh, I usually would say empty the clip in the US, yeah. but no guns here. <laughs> um, and that that's the only way I've ever been able to do anything. Like Everyone's got an opinion now, right? Everyone's got burner accounts. Everyone's got all these things where they can say no, no, no. Um, I think what's really pure is people having ideas that they want to chase that no one has done. Um, the hard part for them is being able to buy into that and be sheltered in their own dreams and aspirations enough to get away from everybody else. That's what I did. And um, I just made sure I, nef I left nothing on the table. All these kids I see that are still coming from crazy paths and even though the path is cut, it's still hard. Or when I see guys in business, like, I want to do this. I'm like, if that's shit you believe in, and it's, that's some that, an idea that's waking you up before your alarm clock and putting you to bed later than you should, then you have to do it. You know what I mean? And uh, my biggest thing is if you're going to do it, man, yeah, until the day you die, that's it, you know? And it's just everything nonstop, 24-7. Um, and for me, it's always been that. I, I, I sort of dive into stuff so hard, and it's like that's all I can see. And that, that's what's always worked for me. Um, people always talk about, like, work-life balance. I was like, that shit don't exist. What does that mean? <laughs> I'm like work life. I'm like that. It's all life. Yeah. That's me. And um, you know, people got other you know ideas around that. But for me, having some work life balance just don't exist. Um, for me, the only way I got there was I had no balance. I put everything into it. Every time I had, um, you just got to have good supportive people around you, and you, you'll find that out if they aren't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, it's just like empty the clip, man. Empty the clip. That's that's all I ever push. Um, 
effort, effort, effort. If you feel like giving up, don't. This has been highly motivating for me, boys. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate you, Jesse. Straight to the gym. Let's yeah, go. let's go. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Like, <laughs> yeah. fuck, can't wait to get to the gym tonight. Yeah, man, so good. Thanks so much, brother. Appreciate it. Good luck with this meeting. Yeah, in a few minutes for you. Yeah, yeah no we'll, worries. We'll, and we'll put some more details about everything that Jesse's doing with yeah. uh, Gridiron Australia and, yep. y- and your camps and things. Like, There's so much we could have chatted about. Yeah. Um, we'll have to get you on again. Yeah, yeah sure. round two, yeah. round two. We'll run out of time. More yeah. than Especially with the big stuff you've got popping off. Yeah. So as soon as um, we couldn't talk about it in detail now, but once it's all launched and live and allowed to be spoken yeah. about, we'll get you back on and Absolutely. go through it. Stay awesome. tuned. Thank Thanks, you, my brother. Bro. No worries.